Welcome into this edition of the Golf Central Podcast presented by Cowboy Golf. I'm Lav, soon to be joined by Rex. And folks, we have made it. It is PGA Championship Week. Rex and I are both on site here at Southern Hills. We're going to break down the legend who is here, Tiger Woods, break down the legend who isn't here in Phil Mickelson. And yeah, we'll break down the legends in the making, the favorites for this week's PGA Championship. Scotty, Jordan, Rory, Colin, the rest of the gang will make some predictions uh, that we definitely won't be held accountable for and have a lot of fun in doing so. But before we get into all of that, the new Chrome Soft golf balls from Callaway are better for the best and better for everyone. This new family is available in Chrome Soft, Chrome Soft X, and Chrome Soft XLS. Each of these golf ball offerings incorporates the company's proprietary new precision technology for the tightest dispersions, consistently fast ball speeds, and total performance. And of course, they deliver the soft, responsive feel and control that players love. These new balls are available now, and you can head over to CallawayGolf.com to see which Chrome Soft is right for you. Rex, we were supposed to do this podcast together uh, in person, surely over a double IPA for you, a lager for me. And weeks ago, I literally sent you the booking information for this lovely Spring Hill Suite that does not have Golf Channel that we are grossly overpaying for. However, you are not here. You are not in the Spring Hill Suites. How, why did this happen? Uh, we, we love to lean into the hijinks, which is what, what I enjoy most about this podcast, because I, I just think we never get a chance to do funny, because when you're on live from or Golf Central, they want you to be deadly serious. serious. Yes, yes, yes. Because we're, My God, we're, you say something, you're definitely getting axed. Yes. I mean, we're, we're curing all kinds of diseases when we're doing this. We, so we have to be very serious, very, very buttoned up. It was it, it was comical to the extreme. And I, I should have known something was wrong when I checked into, and I'm going to go ahead and say it, I checked into a Fairfield. In Tulsa, it's which is fun, only it's 10 minutes. establishment. We love, we love our fun, Marriott's. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Marriott guy. I will be to the day I die. I'm a Delta guy. I will be to the day I die. There you have it. I'm going to say it. I'm going to own it. However, I should have known something was up last night when I checked in, and the nice lady behind the desk was looking. She's like, man, that's really expensive. And she goes, for seven nights, it's going to be like $500 a night. And I was thinking, oh, no, that's that's not right. Like, it was going to be like five grand $4,000 for the week. And then I'm doing the math. For a Fairfield. For a Fairfield. This, is, this was not the Ritz in Tulsa. And she countered with 14. What do you think about 14? And by this time, I'm looking up on my Bond Boy app, trying to figure out, well, what was I quoted? And I'm like, 14 what? And she goes, 1400 for the week. Is that okay? And I look at my Bond Boy app, and it said 1990 something for the week. And I was like, yeah, sure. Let's do business Great that deal. way. Great 1400 is a great deal for seven nights during a major championship week. And you're what, 10 minutes from the golf course? And so now we fast forward to this morning and it's it's stormy, it the it's lightning. I mean, it is nasty out this morning. And I tell Lab, I'm leaving at six and I'm waiting for you, and you are never late. And I knew something was up. It was 601, and I knew something was up, and I was just about to text you, and I realized I'm not staying at the same hotel as he is. And I have no idea how that got sideways. And I texted him. I said, I said, you are at the Spring Hill, right? As, I, as I'm sitting there standing, as, as you're right, I'm never late. If, if I'm late for something, uh, something has is, is gone terribly wrong. Alert, uh, my, my immediate family uh, sent on an AFB. I'm never late. And, and sure enough, I was outside, 554, holding my Poor coffee. Poor me, rainy. 
just cheerily, <laughs> just cheerily waiting for you there with my suit that I didn't wear today uh, for live from. And I said, you are at the Spring Hill, right? Because you're, you're also not uh, the, the tardy type either. I don't know how that happened. Because what I happened? Literally sent, literally sent you the information. I'm going to slide you back. Had, you had to, you had to go rogue. More. You had to yeah, go rogue. I, I, I don't know. No, I would have never gone rogue. I, I'm not going to do that. To slide back the curtain, what happens is you look into hotels. You like the Spring Hill Suites or whatever the case may be. You look at the price. You like the price, and you send it to me. And I just click on the link. I and scout I this months in advance. Months. I do not. I do not. I'm not very good with the company money because it's the company money. There. I'm going to own that too, okay? I'm, I'm just going to go, and I'm going to stay in whatever hotel is closest to the golf course. That makes price my life be easier. damned. Price be damned, and uh, I need Marriott. People work for me. <laughs> That's not it at all. It's just I, I spend a lot of time in hotels, so if I'm going to do that, I want to try to do, to, to do convenience. I have no idea how this possibly could have happened. You sent me a link. I clicked on it. I signed up. I thought that was breezy easy, and apparently not. <laughs> apparently not. Uh, are you are you drinking a double IPA now as we record this podcast? No, uh, there's there's nothing close to me as far as like a liquor store. You're holding, you're holding something. I can't I can't see what it is. Uh, there it is. It's a, it's it is. a big wave. Boom. It, big wave. It's a yeah. Big wave. And it's a Kona big wave, and I'm a big fan of that. But it's no IPA, so that's not going to happen. It was a long day. We've been up. I've been up since four thirty this morning. So because there was a mishap with the with the teams meeting. Not to throw yes. anyone on the bus, a eh, Rob, uh, but there was some miscommunication on the time zones. Uh, it will not happen. It will not happen again tomorrow because you will not be attending uh, said 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 team's meeting. But yes, it has been a long day uh, for everyone. But folks, we're gonna we're gonna bring we're gonna bring the energy uh, on this podcast. Uh, thank you guys certainly for tuning in, Rex. Uh, you've been here uh, for two days. I've been here for one and a half because unlike you, uh, I was concerned about the company's bottom line, and I saved the company seven hundred dollars uh, by flying four work. hours later to work uh, on Monday. Uh, yes, you are on live from. Uh, however. I think it is uh, indisputable that the biggest story uh, through two days of this PJ championship is focused on the guy who is not here as opposed to the 156 who are, of course, that is Phil Mickelson. We did ha- actually have not had a podcast. I wanted to do an emergency pod last Friday when Phil withdrew his name from the PJ championship field. We did an emergency pod on Tuesday. When? Oh, last, last no, week, yeah. last week. Yeah. But then Phil yeah. pulled out of the, out of the PJ. So that would have been two emergency pods in one week. Yes. If that's the case, they're not emergencies anymore. It's an emergency. Just pods. No. That's, like at that's, one point, there's an that's the emergency the game. pod. Just become a pod. In- instead, I went to the food trucks, had a couple <laughs> had a couple pops. You were at some sort of spring game. So this is the first time we are uh, diagnosing this on the Golf Center podcast uh, presented by Callaway Golf. But Phil, as you guys might have heard, uh, is not here. It is uncertain where we will see him next. And everyone's talking about him. He is coming off the historic win last year at Kiowa Island. At age 50, he became golf's oldest major champion. This should have been a victory lap. This should have been a celebration. Uh, We should have been honoring Phil's remarkable, unparalleled longevity in the game. Instead, uh, his future never seems more uncertain. What's kind of your take, Rex, on these past two days and kind of the fill dialogue and, and where we are in this whole saga. I think last night on live from, we did almost a solid hour on Phil and, and we, we covered it about as well as you could possibly cover it. I mean, Rich Lerner did an essay that that was very interesting. Like I do enjoy Rich, Rich's essays. It went around the desk and <laughs> I, I just think when it, when it came time for us to talk about it, the only thing I could think about was empathy. 
because talking with players empathy empathy because and, and here's where i'm going with this this was supposed to and you just used the right word this was supposed to be a victory lap this was a celebration what he did last year at kiwa island you got caught in the crowd i can still remember like your wide eyes and you were shaking and you were sweaty because you got caught with the masses and suddenly you were enveloped and swallowed up by this animal that was just a beloved phil i had to do a line from that where i basically had to say that i feared for my life <laughs> city mouse <laughs> talking about todd, todd todd basically teed me up with a question how scary was it out there? Just, just totally very scary, Todd. <laughs> I, I feared that I would never see my family again. Back to you. <laughs> so there you have it. The city mouse is as brave as we can possibly get at the golf channel. But it, it was supposed to be this celebration. And you said it. Rory said it today. And I, I found it fascinating talking with players this week. And even before all of this started with Liv Goff and Phil Mickelson picking a side, clearly picking that side, and sort of staking his claim to what he believes is the right thing for him and airing his grievances towards the PGA Tour, he was not a popular player. He was very polarizing in the locker room. And I found it amazing talking to players over the last few days, Rory, even the PGA of America, Seth Wall, the CEO, talked about the idea that maybe you can't sympathize with what he's going through. Because, look, this is self-inflicted. I'm not making excuses for Phil at all. But – you can that's, have why that's why it's hard to have empathy. No, but you can't have empathy. And, and I think Rory did a really good job today of sort of painting that picture of it's just sad. It was surreal. And I wrote this when he was not at the Masters because the Masters and Phil, they're sort of connected forever. That's that where he came of age. That's where he jumped two inches off the ground in celebration. That's where he sort of lives his best life, in my opinion. In this particular case, it's just sad. Him not being here in my mind is sad. And again, this is entirely of his own making. He cannot point a finger at anyone and say, Ryan Labner wronged me here. If this is not my fault, it's his fault. Everything that has befallen on Phil has befallen on Phil because of what he did. And I, I'm not going to make excuses on that front, but the fact that we should be celebrating what is probably one of the greatest golf accomplishments, certainly in our lives, maybe of all time, Instead, we're sitting here talking about all the bad things he's done over the last three or four months. It's it's staggering to me. Yeah, I don't know who it's I don't know who it's sad for. Is it sad for Phil? Is it sad for the game? I think the better word that Roy used there was was unfortunate. Like I, I have a hard time summoning any sort of sadness or feel bad for Phil. No, this was of his own making because to borrow one of his phrases, uh, his own obnoxious greed. And you have to keep in mind, Rex. A lot of attention, and rightfully so, has been paid to the incendiary comments that he made, calling the Saudis scary uh, MFers, uh, saying what they did, uh, what what they what they do to to gay people, and and their how they have just an absolutely atrocious uh, human rights record, and that he was willing to overlook all of those atrocities because this was a, a rare opportunity to gain leverage with the tour. Taking away all of those incendiary comments, you have to. Keep in mind that the crux of the argument here, the, the crux of the issue, is that Phil recruited other players to write the operating agreement for this new league. He was Pay not just it. thinking. He was Pay not just it. thinking about joining this new league, Rex. He was trying to build it, which would have disrupted, ruined, uh, whatever you want to call it, hundreds of careers and lives 
of his PJ Tour peers. That, to me, is why you have not seen an outpouring of empathy from his peers. Because Phil, because of his obnoxious creed, was trying to ruin it for him. That's why I do not feel badly for Phil Mickelson, as we said here on May 17th. This was of his own doing. He has no one to blame but himself. It's unfortunate. This should have gone differently, but it didn't. And his legacy, to me, is is forever going to be tainted, in particular, by what's potentially going to happen here. And no argument from this side. I said this is all self-inflicted. He's not pointing at any one person and saying this is because of that. No, he's looking in the mirror. Uh, actually, and that he guy... was, actually, he was pointing to Alan Stipnuck in, in the statement no. and said this was supposed to be off the record. It would have gone. It, it would have gone south for him eventually. Like we would have ended up with him playing the event in London in a few weeks and getting suspend, suspended or expelled or whatever the PGA Tour is going to do. This just fast forward. Ex- expel, expelled like he's a expelled, he's a ninth grader and slapped on the wrist. School. Whatever they do with rulers at the PGA Tour, I, I don't know. But it was going to end up at this crossroads anyway. And I just feel like in Phil's case, you're right. Like he has no one else to blame but this i still find it fascinating that you and i are going to sit here and talk at length just like we did last night on live firm and we're going to continue to do it about phil who's not here about live golf who's an entity that still really doesn't exist only in theory because they haven't played an event yet it exists it exists on youtube it exists only in in greg norman's mind right now and it, it may come to fruition and certainly by the time we get to london it might be something real and we can start talking about that but we're going to talk about those two things long before we ever get to the idea that huh tiger woods is playing this week can you believe that and tiger woods uh interestingly enough was asked repeatedly about phil mickelson and you and i uh this morning at 6 a.m as we were driving to the golf course uh, I, I mentioned that I kind of wanted to go down this th- this road with Tiger. Uh, didn't get a chance to to grab the mic uh, during the news conference today, but I was curious how would he view these potential defectors to the rival league? And I didn't think he would call. I didn't think he'd call them sellouts. Uh, I didn't think he'd call them uh, m- money grubbers. Uh, I didn't think that he would call them morally bankrupt. You think he was going to throw them morally bankrupt? Morally bankrupt. Yeah. However. I had a feeling that after what he said at Riviera, where he, you know, he kind of pled his uh, allegiance, his fealty, if you will, uh, to the PGA Tour, that he was going to kind of double down on that and make what, what to me is a clear dividing line. You're either a Tiger guy or you're a Phil guy. And this has been going on, Rex, for the past 25 years. You've been covering this longer than me because uh, you're a dinosaur. But, but you can't there, – there is, there is no in-between. Like you, you can't, you can't like, if you're, if you're a golf fan, you can't like Tiger and Phil, you, you have to kind of choose your lane. And it seems like PJ tour players by and large are going to have to pick their lane as well. Listening to Tiger Woods today, it was pretty apparent that you're either interested in following him and the path that he helped pave over the past 25 years, or you're going to follow Phil into kind of the great unknown. You're either interested in legacy, I know how much you like that word, uh, or you're kind of only in it for the loot. You follow Tiger or you follow Phil, and these guys are going to start have to make uh, some difficult choices. No, and, and you, it's funny. You and I talked about this in, in the car ride at 6 a.m. That when we found out we were at the wrong hotel. Um, and, and I thought it was an interesting take that you had, that what if, Ti- what if Tiger decides today is the day that I'm just going to stand completely with the PGA tour and he's going to fall in line and essentially throw out the line that Rory did 
all those years ago in Mexico when he said, I want to be on the right side of history. And I think my response to you was, that's going to set Live Golf back a decade. Because wherever it is, it's going to end up. It's going to end up because there's so much money, and I don't think you can stop that train, no matter how no matter how loud the voice is, no matter who is screaming against it. But $2 in this billion dollars is nothing to scoff at. Yes. I mean, there's money and there's always hope. That's the line that Rory gave me. And Rory is dead set against this, but he recognizes the packs. In this particular case, if Tiger did draw that line, and he didn't, he walked to the edge. He's Came close. as close as he's ever been. You're absolutely right. It's, I think it's pretty clear. He used legacy. We start talking about trigger words, and that's the trigger word for guys who want to stay with the PGA Tour. They say legacy. The other guys start talking about contractors and independents and, and opportunities, yes. and, and it, you can always catch in on the keywords. So I, I did find it fascinating, and I know you wrote about it, and I do want to get your takes. Before I do that, though, and I wanted to do this on the writer's block on Sunday night, and I totally forgot. On Friday, when Phil makes the announcement, actually the PGA of America made the announcement, that he was not playing in this week's championship, I, I was a little late getting to the thread, and I, and, but before I even could, you were like, I, I'm going to write. I'll, I'll write a column. And in my mind, I imagine you running through your house with probably basketball shorts on and a T-shirt, screaming no, at no Cam. one. Cam, not now. Screaming at no one in particular. I have tanks. I have tanks. Get out of my way. <laughs> uh, I did have takes. Uh, the headline, if you have not seen, is Phil Mickelson's shocking major win, even more shockingly tarnished a year later. Thank you, Mercer, uh, for that one. Uh, my mentions uh, were certainly on fire. The word I used was surreal. I did not use uh, sad. And I kind of segued into kind of where this is going from here. It's the Live Golf event, uh, you would think, in June and how um, this thing is just it's, – it's unfathomable that we're even contemplating this scenario 51 weeks later. Has this win been tarnished a year later? Uh, no, I don't think anything can take away what Phil Mickelson did last year at Kiwa Island. Will his legacy be a little bit more complicated now? Trigger word. Certainly. Uh, certainly is going to be uh, a little bit more complicated. In, in the in the column I wrote today, uh, kind of pairing Tiger and Phil, and it was interesting because I saw Jay Monahan on my way out of the media, media center. I said, Jay Monahan had me smiling because Tiger Woods, still at age 46, the most important player in the sport, he did his part in four or five questions and his answers that he gave to minimize the best he could to the tour's existential threat that they're facing. And he also further alienated Phil and what at least Tiger believes is uh, the, the wrong opposing view. When Mark Canizero of the New York Post asked Tiger twice whether he has reached out to Phil uh, to offer any sort of support. That's a hard no, man. That he said no. no. Yeah. Nothing personal, but it is clear that they are on opposite ends of the spectrum, and it, it seems like that's not a bridge that can necessarily be repaired with a couple of conversations. They just, they just view it totally differently. Well, and, and to that point, I don't know that Tiger's reaching out to Phil for anything. This is not – they're not trading text messages. Those two are not friendly. Of all the books that are coming out or have already come out about Phil Mickelson – 
and we are obviously referring to the Alan Shipnut book that came out today, as a matter of fact, and it's an unauthorized biography. There's the Billy Walters book that's coming out in the next few weeks, which is going to be compelling and interesting for all the, the sordid reasons that we love in this situation. The one that paints the best picture here is the Bob Herod book, which is essentially the relationship, the dynamic that is Tiger and Phil going back those 25, even 30 years to their junior golf days way back in California. And I will give Bob credit. He got a lot of really cool stories that some of them we have heard. Some of them I had not heard, but it just sort of paints a picture of two guys that we're never going to see eye to eye. These guys come from the opposite end of the spectrum. They're alpha males. They wanted to compete against each other. They were never going to be friends. So in this particular case, the idea that Tiger Woods of all people would reach out and be like, Hey bud, uh, speaking of you, smiley emoji, hang in there, Uh, pal. I'm here for you. Hug emoji. Uh, let me know if you need anything. Winky emoji. Like that's not happening. But I kind of, but I kind of bristled at the suggestion by the reporter that hey, you know, Phil reached out to you a couple times during your various scandals, and that's <laughs> that's that's that was overlooking a very inconvenient truth: the fact that Tiger Woods's transgressions affected mostly himself and his family. He never put himself above the sport ahead of the sport when he had ample opportunity to do so as the most powerful golfer and one of the most famous athletes on the planet. Phil was, is attempting to stage a mutiny because of his obnoxious greed, because of his apparently misplaced ego and and guidance on how the PJ tour should uh, operate, not just now, but, but in the future, those are two wildly, different ideas and why you would reach out for someone to use your word uh, in an empathetic uh, manner. I, I totally, I totally did not understand how those two could be correlated. Uh, I don't either. And, and my guess is neither one of them have the other phone number. Like this is, this is not, th- this was never going to happen. Like that's, they're not friends. They're not friendly. They never were. I don't know that hate is the word that I would use in this particular situation, but certainly there is, again, I, I highly suggest you check out Bob Herrick's book because it's it's a really cool snapshot of the relationship between these two guys who have dominated professional golf for at least two de- decades, if not more. The the part I guess that gets did you me, did you did you did you pay for Bob's book or did you get it for free? Uh, I haven't even I haven't even gotten it. How I do you just, know? How do you know? I, because I I spend a lot of time with Bob Herrick and he has told me oh this is in the book and this is a story that I got from Bob. I've read uh, I've read about seventy five percent of it. it. It is a it is a good book. I highly encourage people to go check it out on Amazon. Timing was it's terrible. Tig- I, it's good. It's called Tiger. I think it's literally called Tiger and Phil. Yeah, I mean the timing is terrible because I, Bob had no idea this was going to happen with Phil. I mean, I, terrible. They, yeah, it just imploded the the whole concept. Ship Nuck's book came out a week, couple weeks later. Our friend Shane Ryan, who wrote a Ryder Cup book, his book came yes. out couple weeks ago it's a certainly a crowded uh, marketplace right now and and writing a book is such a drain i mean it takes every ounce of life out of you i feel terrible for bob because in this particular situation i think he came into this with the concept of oh look phil just won the pga i can write this sort of history of these two and then tiger was going you know was recovering from this horrific car crash and you, they could kind of meet at we the probably, pinnacle. At we the probably end. didn't think we would ever see Tiger Woods play golf again when he was when he was writing the book. Yeah, I, like all of these things, and then suddenly this bombshell drops that oh, Phil Mickelson is going through this midlife crisis that matches every midlife crisis in the history of mankind. I don't think anybody could have seen that coming. Uh, Tiger Woods going to win this week? 
Uh, no, no, but he certainly sounded like he did. I love that he was. Of course he did. Would, what was he gonna? What was he gonna say? Boy, boy, no. you see, if you guys see my leg, I'd be lucky. I, to, I'd be lucky to make the cut. And I was on live from, so I'm sort of listening to the, the, the guys on the desk at the same time I'm listening to Tiger Woods' press conference. And I love that a, 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 Aaron Obohauser, his, his quote was, or his take was, like, he was so self-deprecating throughout that entire interview where he's kind of talking about his physical limitations and the things he can do and the things he, he can't wants do. He wants to play 6,200-yard courses, yeah. Yes, and then suddenly it's, Tiger, did you show up here thinking you could win? And it's it's 1997 all over oh, definitely. again. Or, two, oh, definitely. or 2006 all over again. This stone face, putting the blinders on. I can't believe you even asked me that. I'm going to stare a hole right through you. Absolutely, I can't. He goes, I, I, def- I definitely can win. Just got to put myself in position and keep working towards it. There yeah. is... There is not there is nothing that that to to suggest that Tiger Woods can can win this golf tournament. It was uh, it was one of the old hits that he's been playing since 2000 and it was it, it was like he hit the the play button so easily that <laughs> what? Can I win? Hold on, let me re-rack this. Yes, I can win. So we're about 5 weeks on from the Masters now. Uh, you and I uh, both taking Tiger Woods uh, perhaps too literally thought he would not play in these next two majors, kind of gearing up uh, for the Open Championship at St. Andrews. We thought that would be potentially his best major uh, to contend. Six, five or six weeks later now, after the Masters, he says he's stronger. He said he can do things in the gym now that it, uh, he wasn't doing before. Of course, he's still going to be sore. He's still going to have discomfort. Uh, but it's not quite the agonizing walk that Augusta National uh, was and is for even the uh, able-bodied. Now, Southern Hills is also not the easiest trek uh, of a golf course that you will find. You're probably looking uh, weather dependent on a winning score between five and 10 under par. Obviously Tiger won here in 07. It's since been uh, restored by Jim Wagner and Gil Hans. Not not massive changes uh, compared to what we saw in 07. A couple lengthened holes, fairways a little bit wider. Some of the runoffs are different. Do you think Tiger can at least make the cut top 30 i mean what are your what are your expectations i think we talked about this on sunday it was and and it's funny i go back to the rory quote today because i kind of asked him about tiger and he kind of referred to tiger as both stubborn and determined which i thought wow that that paints the perfect picture right here because again i go back to what you and i saw specifically on the weekend augusta national there was a pain there was an agony there was a why am I doing this to myself look on his face. And I guess now you fast forward those five weeks that you talked about. And I have to ask, like, why is he doing this? Because he's the only one that really knows his body in this particular case. And if he has put himself back together to a point that he feels like, oh, this is how I felt at Augusta, but a little bit better, marginally better, maybe just incrementally better, whatever the case may be then yes, I can see him doing the stone face. Yes, I can win. To answer your question, I think we talked about this on, on writer's block. I, I think anything around tied for 30th is going to be good. And yes, I think he can make the cut. This is a, a stronger field than you have at the Masters. You have more players in the field, but you also have some club pros and some other players thrown in there, some former champions that that probably give him a bit of a cushion. So I can see him making the cut, but anything inside the top 30, I got to be honest with you, I would be a little on the surprised. Uh, I would be surprised as well. As you mentioned, this is the strongest major field in golf. 96 of the top 100 players uh, in the world are here. I think Ty Woods keeps putting himself through this because he, as he says, he can still hit the golf shots. Like we've, we've seen him on the driving range. We've seen him on the golf course. Like 
It's the walk. All the shots are still there. Yeah. He, he hits the ball plenty far enough. He's actually hitting it uh, a little bit straighter than he had uh, in recent years. His iron play, uh, it, it's certainly not, you know, 07 Tiger, who's throwing absolute lasers, but I mean, he can still alter his shapes and his trajectories, and he's uh, incredibly precise. His short game, certainly at Augusta National, with the first 36 holes uh, looks sharp because that's really what he'd kind of been focusing on over the past couple of months just because of his physical limitations. And then the question becomes, how much longer do you want to put yourself through this? Because I, I have no that's doubt. That's my that, question. That, I don't like, get that. But like at home, at home, I have I have no doubt, Rex, that he can shoot in the mid sixties, sure. high sixties. Like that's why he's playing this major championship. Like he Golf can hit the shots, at the and, and he can and he can play good golf. Still, it's the physical aspects, it's the wear and tear, it's the toll of playing major championship golf uh, that I'm not sure he's ever going to be able to to fully get back to a point that he can handle that. Well, and he, there was a telling comment today beyond the can you win, which was the patented cliche that he's always going to fall back on. But he was asked specifically about his putting. And this is a guy who, and I always thought this was sort of unfair. When our boy Colby, right. our boy Colby asked him about his putting. Hey, good for Colby. Hey, Shout man. out Colby. Uh, welcome to, welcome to the team, Colby. We're, welcome we're to the team, Colby. We're happy to have you. Um, I can't for the life of me think of Colby's last name right now. Powell. Uh, Powell. Oh, Colby Powell. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, appreciate your help, effort today, boy, Colby oh Powell. Boy, oh boy. Welcome no, to the team. You're gonna have to walk that one back. You're you're already you're already on the out. You're already on the outs with a couple members of the team, aren't you? You should probably be sidling up to, to Kobe here. <laughs> Why don't you go buy him a He's, free lunch? Sure, sure. Uh, PGA free lunch. Uh, the part that always got me about Tiger Woods is everyone, because he made it look so easy, just thought that he would show up at a major championship and win by multiple strokes. And this is just what he did because he was naturally gifted. And that was so dismissive of the idea that. I don't know that there's anyone in his prime that worked harder than he did. There's the famous John Daly story where they're at Bay Hill and John Daly has played in the Wednesday pro-am and he's sitting in that locker room and he's drinking with his pro-am partners and he's having a good time. And Tiger walks from the fitness trailer and he's going back out to the range and JD stops him like, Hey man, come on, come sit down. It's Wednesday, you know, have a couple pops. Let's have a good time. And, and the rumor is the, the lore is, is that Tiger turned to him and said, I can't do that. I'm not as talented as you, which I always thought was kind of telling because we always just assumed that not only was Tiger the most driven person, but he was also the most talented person on the PGA Tour. And that might have been true, but it's the driven part that gets me. And when he was talking today, he was asked specifically about his putting. And he says, oh, no, absolutely not. I cannot put the time and the effort and the hours in that I used to. And he talked about doing it in those 20-minute incremental windows. Well, he'll walk out back to the range that he has at his house and he'll putt for 20 minutes and then he'll go back inside and do whatever it is he has to do. And then a couple of hours later, he'll do it again. I don't know that there's a cumulative effort. Isn't, isn't that a problem? It, because yes. If, if, it you're, if, you're no, if you're no longer the longest, strongest, biggest, fastest, grittiest, whatever adjective you want to call it, if you can't put in the time and you cannot rely on the gifts that have uh, certainly been 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 supercharged and, and powered your career over the past two decades. Is, isn't that a problem if you can no longer keep up the, the practice regimen that's required? Oh, absolutely. And then that's kind of my point here. Like I always thought it was overlooked. Like I don't think we ever gave Tiger enough credit for, yes, he was clearly the most talented person of his generation, but he was also the hardest worker. And he was also driven to extremes that are probably having a negative impact where he would do things physically Takes to his body. 
Yeah, it took a toll. And now I think what we see, the byproduct, is a bad bag that doesn't allow him to putt for more than 20 minutes at a time. And I can't imagine, to answer your question, how that guy who, as you pointed out, is clearly middle of the pack when it comes to driving distance. He's still a really, really good iron player, actually, statistically, if you look at it. But I don't know how that guy can transform himself. I think the conversation on the live from today was there was a time in 2007 here at Southern Hills, probably be the best example, when he could win. He just wouldn't win a major with his B game, but he would win easily with his B game. I'm not sure he can win with his A game anymore. And that's got to be, he has to be aware of that. Uh, I mean, you think back to the 2019 Masters uh, when Tiger was it's a perfect storm. Golf. I mean, I mean, it was a perfect storm, but he was coming off a great 2018, but 2019, like literally everything fell in his favor. Uh, and he still barely, you know, got through that to, to get the 15th major. And, and, and look, I, I don't think you and I are both on the same page. He's probably not going to win another major again, barring something extraordinary. Will we put it past him? No, but it's, I don't, it, it's, it's not going to happen uh, in 2022. Let's check back next year to see if Tiger Woods at age 47 uh, is still doing this. How about another guy, Rex, uh, who's coming back from an injury, not as uh, devastating uh, as Tiger's, but that is Bryce Nishambo, who I think to both of our surprise is even here in Oklahoma, testing his uh, injured left hand. Uh, after he oh, he's surgery. definitely here. He played nine holes. He played the well, front he is. Today. Yeah, Well, yeah, yeah. obviously yeah. He, he is here. But I think we're su- both surprised that he is here uh, about six weeks after undergoing surgery to repair uh, the hamate bone in his left hand that was causing him some discomfort. Uh, you have the hashtag exclusive uh, in catching up with Bryson. I have not been following the story because, quite frankly, I don't think uh, Bryson has a chance to win this week. What is going on mm-hmm. with all things Bryson? I think this goes back to last Thursday, and I was talking with his manager last night about this because I was trying to do some notes for early this morning. And the, the scab that was on his left hand from that surgery, it just fell off on Thursday. And he just started swinging a club, seeing how it would feel. And it turned into, oh, I think I can do this. And we've had this conversation about. He posted swing videos with 192 mile an hour ball speed. That's insane. It is insane. And, and look, I'll, I'll defer to my man Aaron O on, on live from who not only had one handmade surgery, two AMA surgery surgery. So he had both hands operated on the exact same surgery. And he said when back in his era, and that was only about 10 years ago, there was no way he was coming back five weeks after. Like that just did not happen. Like it, it, the, the recovery process is longer than that. Now, that being said, I think that everything Bryson had done before this, all the physical things that he had done probably is helping this process along. And I was told that they felt like he was healing. He was moving along at a very, very good clip. However, there's still pain, not the same pain that he had before the surgery, but there's soreness. There's going to be swelling. He was wearing a compression kind of sock on his hand today. He only played nine holes. I think tomorrow is telling. I think he'll make a call tomorrow. Knowing what we know about Bryson, knowing how driven he is, knowing how, Sometimes he focuses on things that are out of his control. I would bet pretty good money that he's going to play. You're right. I can't imagine him contending, but I'm pretty sure he's going to play. Is there a risk of re-injury? No, because the if bone you, is gone. If, I mean, if you, if you mention it's just a scab falling off, then what's the big deal? Well, it's just, the, the only big deal is really pain at this point. I don't think it's not – you don't have another hamate bone. I'm not very good with this. I don't know how many bones are in the hand, but you don't have another one of those you can injure 
or another one of those you can break or another one of those that you, they need to take out. So I don't think it's a, a matter of, of risk of injury at this point. I think you could probably push the recovery process back a little bit, but no, I don't think you could do that. Yeah. I just don't understand necessarily what the, what the rush is because this was a, a player who probably should have, could have undergone this surgery months ago. And if this was the, the time frame for uh, recovery, then he certainly could have been closer to full strength for the Masters instead of having no chance there, uh, missing the cut by a mile, and then opting uh, for the surgery. You just, even if there isn't a chance of, of re-injury, uh, it's, it just seems like an unnecessary Delay risk the process. Like just, You're just, right. to, just delay it, man. Like I'd love, I'd love to see Bryson get as close to possible as 100% to gear up for, for what's still an important summer run. I mean, the U.S. Open... Obviously won at Wingfoot, had a great opportunity uh, at Torrey Pines last year before uh, the back nine forty four. I mean St Andrews in the in the op- in the in the old course. I mean, if the conditions are are ripe, although he's not uh, had the best open record, like he could do some incredible things. That if he's firing, he still wants to play on the U.S. Presidents Cup team, which now I think he'd be uh, overlooked for that. If you're Captain Davis Love the Third, like there's there's a lot of really important golf tournament still to play and you just hate to see him do something that's that's reckless just for the point of maybe you know proving to us that he's that he's tough and he can recover quickly and what's silly here and proximity should not be an issue when you're talking about a pga tour player and this is also the same pga tour player didn't he fly home after thinking he missed the cut somewhere i, I believe that was quail charlotte Hollow. yes yes so it was quail he flew home thought he missed the cut and realized he didn't so flew back the very next morning um I, I think, but this has something to do with proximity. He lives in Dallas. It's just about three and a half hours from here. I think it was too close for him to ignore, if I'm being honest. And and I just think we all know Bryson well enough. We, we know the personality, and we know how sort of singular that focus can be sometimes. And in this particular case, having him sit around being inactive for the better part of five or six weeks, that's never going to be a good recipe. Uh, you're probably right. And we have spent, uh, let's see, 30-ish minutes uh, talking about three guys uh, who one of them no chance of winning and two of them do not have a chance to win how about we get to the guys rex who actually can win all right let's do uh, this. the year's second major give me your top three favorites in order i, I kind of switched up my mindset today because i was talking with my stats guy and he won't allow me to your drop stats guy i got Boy, you, let, you, let, you let this guy take over kira's uh, post on early live from he's not given re- he's not given weather reports i know burko's disappointed and not now he's doing got, that, man. He, and now and now he has an appointed stats guy please now i have a stats guy uh, no it's a stats guy who works with uh, tour players and, and he, he's very helpful i find him very insightful when it comes to how he breaks down courses and it's amazing what he told me this morning how many players i actually heard say the same thing during interviews and this is going to be all about guys who can hit fairways ball striking from the fairway and scrambling that the fairways are much wider. What's left? Than they, What's left? Uh, uh, that's it. But what you're you looking got, you for, gotta, you got to hit fairways. You got to hit greens. And if you miss greens, and, you got to scramble. But yeah. So the beauty of this we're guy paying is this guy. Uh, no, we're not paying him, but players pay him quite a bit of money. But what, the way he broke it down is you find a guy who's good at GRI and you find a guy who is good at scrambling. And that's probably going to be a guy that has a good week this week because of the way They've shaved off around the greens because of the fact that this is not going to be a driving contest. 
that by all accounts, I was talking with Lucas Glover, who did play in 2007 at the PGA Championship. The fairways are on average 10 to 15 yards wider. And I just think with the weather, we're going to end up getting that this is going to become a second shot golf course. And when you miss the greens, you've got to be able to be creative because the way they've shaved it off. And I'll give Kerry Hay credit, credit, like we always do in this situation, that he has found a way to challenge the players without making them angry. And that's very hard to do. Uh, Rex, do you want to know who is among the best? I didn't give you any favorites, did I? I just just threw out stats. In strokes gained around the green. Do you want to know who is among the tour of best, top 25 in both categories? Do I? Approaching and around the green. Do Do you want to know? Do I? Yes. Yes, I do. Yes, I do want to know. It's the world number one. It's Scotty Shepard. Scotty, 17th approach of the green. He is 21st around the green, and he is 25th uh in putting he has called southern hills his favorite golf course uh in the country uh to me that just means he is not uh well traveled considering some of the courses that you and i uh, have had the distinct pleasure of playing uh overseas uh this is a guy who's won four of his last seven starts even though he wasn't uh quite firing last week at the at&t byron nelson he still finished uh in a tie for 15th are you telling me that scotty scheffler is about to capture the first two legs of the Grand Slam. I mean, isn't this a situation? I think we talk, had this conversation on the writer's block that until he doesn't, don't you have to keep sort of betting down? Don't you have to double down on, on this particular horse? Because until he proves to me that, okay, he's off this hot streak. And eventually he is going to fall off this hot streak. I mean, it, it happens to everyone. And even, even Tiger Woods eventually cooled after winning five, six events. in After like 15 six- years. Yes, after 15 years. I, I just think until he does it, I can't turn my back on. I mean, Scotty's going to be in that top echelon. I think Xander Schauffele was the other guy. Statistically, he fits into that category that we just talked about. He's really good with his irons, and he has the creativity around the greens. And probably the third guy, and again, we kind of revisited this, was John Rahm. And I just feel like from a driving perspective, he's not going to put himself into the kind of trouble that you can kind of see at – somewhere let's say brookline for the u.s open and this is the u.s open champion so it's ridiculous to say this but the way he's driving the ball right now i I would not trust john at brookline but at this particular golf course absolutely you wouldn't trust john at brookline no no i don't think i am going to trust him now my my opinion might change and he's literally the best driver on the pga tour five weeks um no, i i know what you're saying i agree but there's just literally this is that's not a that's not an opinion he is indisputably the best driver of the golf ball on the PGA Tour. He's gaining 1.3 strokes per round, per round with his driver. Well, and but you're I'm not going to trust him at Brookline, the reigning U.S. Open champion? Right now, I don't feel good about it. I mean, my opinion might what? change because Brookline is Why? a couple weeks away. But right now, I don't feel great about it. Why? Why would you feel great about it? I feel terrific about John Rahm at Brookline. Well, I'm not making my pick for Brookline right now. I was simply explaining why I feel like John Rahm would be a good pick this week. John Rahm's a good pick every week. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm going to be honest with you. He hasn't, he hasn't played since, since Mexico. He's one of the most complete players on the PGA Tour. His putting. Are you going to poop on Mexico field again? You're going to poop on Mexico's field again, aren't <laughs> I'd you? I'd love to. I, I know you want to talk about John Rahm's putting, uh, but I am going to have to cut you off <laughs> no, uh, there. Uh, Xander is an interesting uh, pick to me. He played his last 49 holes uh, at the Byron Nelson in 26 under par. You mentioned his stats, his approach play. And around the green, top 32. So not quite Scotty Scheffler-esque, uh, but still very good. Uh, Xander, good. 
is is a is a great pick. But I I think you're exactly right, Rex. So like Scotty is what? is a favorite until proven otherwise, and he I, to me he's the only player that you that you can't nitpick nitpick that you would have on Scotty Scheffler as well. I mean, the hot streak can't last forever. Like literally everyone else, there's some sort of question mark. Jordan Spieth, his, his short putting uh, cropped up again. Ethan Nelson, John Rahm, his putting, we're not going to talk about it. Uh, you can go look at the transcript. What's wrong with John Rahm's putting? Is something uh, wrong nothing. with John Rahm's uh, putting? Moving on, uh, Colin Morikawa, uh, 192nd on the PJ Tour. Give me a favorite, clip that, and let's, let's make that the uh, – yeah. Never. Yeah. Jason, do not do that. 192nd, uh, Kyle Morikawa is around the greens. You just mentioned uh, how uh, important that is going to be. Rory, his proximity to the hole hasn't been great. Uh, Patrick Cantlay, two career top tens uh, in major championships. Justin Thomas, over par in his last five uh, opening rounds of the majors. But you don't Cameron like JT Smith. this week? This feels like a JT Cameron week, Smith? doesn't it? This feels like, what about Cameron Smith? Yeah, I feel like Cameron I Smith is like the most overlooked great player. I was having this conversation with a colleague in a, in a radio interview earlier this week, and it, it came up that if, if I just threw the top 20 players in the world at you, you would have a hard time going through there, and, and I'll, I'll make this easy Cameron for Cameron Smith Finally, only 40th around the green, even though like he's widely regarded as one of the best. But if I, if I the threw the top 20 players in the world right now at you and said, give me three that have absolutely no chance of winning, you'd have a hard time. You would struggle at that. Because I just think we're at a point right now in golf and at this particular golf course where you can make a really good argument and maybe 20 is extreme, let's say 15, but you could probably make a really good argument for the top 15 that, yeah, if they have a good putting week on the greens. I think it absolutely could happen. Well, I think you could go, you could go even, even deeper, deeper than that. And, and I was actually talking to, to Ben Everill on the, the media shuttle yesterday. And he's like, I feel like we're due for like a weird major winner. And I said, we don't, we don't have those anymore. Like when you, when you think back to the guys who were sort of uh, you can't even call them unheralded, but, but maybe unexpected, you really have to go back to 2019 with Gary Woodland at the U S open. Although in, in hindsight, uh, his power, he, he had, he, ju- he just had like a pretty transformative uh, short game tip uh, that, he, that he implemented and certainly chipped and pitched it. Uh, very well around that golf course. Shane Lowry, he may not have been, um, you know, the odds makers favorite that week at Royal Portrush, but you know, home dude ma- making good and and was able to cruise uh, around that golf course that he was so familiar with. Like that's it. You go back beyond that. Like we don't have the, not to throw these guys under the bus, but you, you know the the Sean McKeels, the Jason Duffners, the Keegan Bradleys, like those weird pop up winners who win the championship and then kind of fade from the spotlight. I, you're, you're right. Like the game's just too deep. One, if not two, well, it's uh, not a bad thing. 15 I mean, top 20, that. top 25 players in the world. Like a couple of those guys are going to have a great week and, and battle down the stretch. That's what we should kind of anticipate. And I think that's good for the game. I mean, I think parody ever since Tiger Woods gave up his stranglehold on world number one, We've had this conversation week in and week out. That no, parody, I think, parody's, parody's terrible for the game of golf. Parody, no, no, terrible. I disagree because you, I, I don't terrible. think we have we don't have that one singular figure. Like, and no offense to Scotty Scheffler or Dustin Johnson or any of the other litany of players who've been world number one since Tiger Woods dropped out. 
we don't have that guy. Like you're not going to get a guy that, that sits there. It's Colin Morikawa and everyone's going to say, yep, he's great. He's good for the game. Let's all cheer for him. That's not going to happen. You're going to have to have this star by committee. And in this particular case, I think it is good that we have a situation where. Oh, it's terrible. If you're trying to oh, bring I in, disagree. if you're trying to bring in the, the casual sports fan, quite frankly, they have no idea who Cameron Smith is or Patrick Cantley or Xander Schauffele is. They have no idea who those guys are. They don't know who Patrick Cantley is. Really? That's shocking. So mean. Man, I wish they. Maybe maybe he watched my maybe he watched my TV feature. I actually actually uh, I actually really like Patrick Cantley this week. Uh, I do too. I he played well with Xander in New Orleans. I think that was a good team matchup for the. Kerry um, Xander. After losing in a, also after losing in a playoff at at Harbor Town, and he was asked uh, Patrick Cantley was today uh, by a reporter as as I mentioned while kind of dismissing him, uh, just two career top tens in the major championships, and Patrick Cantley said, "Look." Small sample size. I missed three and a half years. I'm still kind of relatively new at this major championship thing. Give me time. Give me time was Patrick Cantley's quote uh, in that press conference today in regards to his major championship performance. He thinks uh, that he's about to uh, go on a a stretch of a very impressive play uh, in the majors. He's way too talented uh, to not be in the mix more often for these big titles. Oh, I don't think there's any question about the talent or or the drive. I mean, I'm, I certainly look at – I've had this conversation with poor, before with people inside the game that, look, you can have the talent, you can have the drive, but he's also had things that happen in his life that have made him much more insightful. Like he losing his best friend and his caddy, which you get into in that feature, which is very, very good. I think that goes to the person he is today. I just wish he was a little bit more engaging. Like I, I do enjoy being around him, and when you – dig down enough into the vein and you find the one thing he's passionate about, it's a geyser. It just blows up on you and you get all these wonderful things out of him. But trying to find that vein is difficult, man. Uh, I'm having a very hard time with Scotty Scheffler. Uh, and he um, actually admitted, he actually admitted today, which I've, I, you know, that's, that's kind of the first step is, 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 is realizing you have a problem. But Scotty Scheffler said, I have a hard time letting people in. He was, he was discussing uh, the scene where he was, he was weeping, uh, with his wife ahead of the final round of the master saying that he wasn't ready for this. And he thought it was, he was scared. position was, on the floor of the head of the family house. God, what have I got myself into with this? <laughs> What's happening? Well, that's the most interesting thing Scotty Scheffler has ever said. And unfortunately uh, that's the last uh, interesting thing we have heard uh, from Scotty Scheffler since I like you and I like the guy a lot. Like he's, he's not, he's, he, he's, he's lovable. He's goofy. He's, he's, he's amiable. Like, He's extraordinarily friendly, but he's just not the most charismatic player. Now, you think of charismatic players on the PJ Tour, who would, who would you want to see this week? I would think of Rory getting uh, his first going Rory, yeah, that was, since, uh, that was since easy. His twenty fourteen. I would think Jordan, mm-hmm. uh, who has proven to be eminently uh, human through both uh, successes and failures uh, over the years. I think a guy like Victor Hovland could. Uh, you know, he, he takes a little bit more work maybe than a, than a Roy or a speed who you can ask a three word question to, and he'll light you up for a couple of minutes. But, but, but Victor's that kind of lovable lug that, that you have. Other than that, uh, more, I'm going go no, to go Max crack. Cantley's tough no. to crack. To me, JT's a little bit tough to crack. I'm going to go Max Homa. I think Max Homa's fun. Like I, I did. I, I enjoyed Homa's being fun. at Wells Fargo. Yeah. I enjoyed being at Wells Fargo. And, you know, we, we leaned into the perspective thing, which I think is silly sometimes, but 
I, I think there, yeah, I think there's a level to him that's just enjoyable. And sometimes I think he comes across and doesn't communicate. Like sometimes I think he comes across as cooler, as maybe too cool for school. And that's Max probably Homa? not a fair. Yes, and I don't think Max that's Homa a fair comes off as too cool for school. Yes, and I don't think that's a fair representation. A lot of times, I, I think he's he's a, a guy who's gone through struggles in, in his career. I think he's a guy that I love the fact that he'll sit there and talk about, if I had this right, his first year on tour, he missed every cut. Oh, no, no. The first no, year on but, tour, but, he made $18,000. To only make $18,000 playing an entire year on the PGA Tour is difficult to do. It's almost impossible to do. Like, I love the fact that he leans into – the the idea that yes I, I was a terrible golfer i had no business being on the pga tour but now he's figured it out so yes i i would like max in that situation. oh I'd, lo- I'd love to see a max home win too too cool for school is not something i've ever heard uh in any sort of criticism about max home if anything i've heard that he's too sensitive that he's like he's he's too human uh to be you know a top 10 player in the world which requires a sort of prick attitude uh and it, you need to be sort of an egomaniac i don't think I don't think he has it in him, just like I don't think Roy McIlroy or Jordan Spieth kind of have that that certain quality to him. Like there's a there's a prickliness to John Rom, who yes, he has the hashtag perspective now of, of being a fatherhood, but he still burns uh, as hot as anyone, if not hotter uh, than, than anyone. I'm not sure like a Max Homa type or even even Rory now at, at his age burns quite like John Rom does like in the desire to be desire to be great. Well, and, and we, we have fun. We lean into the funny. So we are always leaning into John Rom does not like answering questions about putting and in case no one, no, in case no one's getting the inside joke here. Like anytime you ask John Rom about putting, you're going to get a fistful Seek of, shelter. Seek I have no interest in answering your questions. Usually it's, it's with a Spanish accent and there's a flair to it. <laughs> and you're afraid. <laughs> Why do you guys keep bringing this up? <laughs> and, and and you feel like Ryan Labner trying to cut through the gallery at that Kiwa Island last year when he was fearing for his life because you just want to get away from this large individual who clearly is not happy with you. I, I wanted to ask, and you're not very good at gambling. We, we've established this before. But one of the most enjoyable things for you and I to do are to make three ball bets when we go to the Open Championship. So if I challenge you right now. Oh, boy. Here we go. <laughs> if I challenge you right now. Are there going to be me, odds? Are there going to be odds? Or you just have to pick low finisher through thirty six holes. Just give me two lock three ball bets this week. Just give me two. That's all I'm asking. Forget about odds because you're not very good at that. I don't think you understand even what that would mean. So just give me two locks when it comes to a three ball bet, which means that for the first two rounds, they're paired in threesomes. You have to pick the guy who's going to win over two rounds in that group. Go. Oh my locks. Go. Um. Oh, All right, so I'm man. I'm I'm scanning through the tea times now. You know, um, I looked at this. This was your idea. No, my idea was I'm going to pick a threesome, and you tell me who's going to be a low finisher, such as uh, get ready, uh, such as Hideki Matsuyama coming off a close call at Nelson, Xander also coming off the 61, and Tony Finau. Who is the low finisher of that three ball? That's a terrible three ball bet because all three of them are Why? playing about the same. I don't yes. you want nothing to do with take that. A, three ball. That's terrible. Take a stand. Take a stand. No, you're not going to do. That's not how you win bets. You don't understand gambling. I really don't. Like at, least, at least there's not odds on this. Like, okay. I immediately look to Jordan Spieth, Rory McIlroy and Tiger Woods. Teeing off I, it. See, I would, I would not, I would not bet though. And I would certainly bet that Tiger would be the worst finisher. I, I, that, that's fine. But between Rory and Jordan, I would at this take, point, I would take playing Spieth. very, very well. I take Spieth. Uh, 
But it's not a good bet. You can take speed because no, that's I where would, your heart's I always going to take you. I would definitely avoid that. No, no. It, 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 that's where your heart's always going to take you because you're a homer for speed and you don't understand how betting works. All right. So here, here's, I'm going to, here. No, I, got, I have one here's for a you. And so you're going to listen to this. And, I got a No, lock. no. You're going to listen to mine first. I, I've looked through this like I was, I was scanning through this. And the easy part of this this week are there club pros in the field. And no disrespect yes. to any of the club pros. And I'm sorry, I, I, I know this is your week to shine, and I hope you enjoy every single minute of it, but you've got no chance against real PGA Tour pros. And I, I'm sure the membership at your club loves you to death, and you can't wait to go home. And, and I'm the sure you're great people. Court. Yes, just please, all that quickly. Yes. At, 1246, yes. at 1247 off the 10th tee on Thursday, the threesome of Rich Beam, <laughs> who I love, he's a colleague. Jesse oh, you love I love Beamer. Jesse Mueller, who's a club pro from Phoenix. Actually, I think he's a college golf coach, if I'm not mistaken. You would probably know this better than I do. Nope. Where's should we get should we get Brentley on the line? Probably. Uh anyway, so a club pro, Jesse. And again, I'm sure you do what wonderful whatever it is you do. And Alex Cheka. Alex Cheka it's, is it's clearly Cheka. it's Cheka, of course. Alex is clearly the low ball in that group, without question. Again, no disrespect to Beamer. But he spends 51 weeks out of the year holding a microphone, not a putter. And Beamer made guy, the cut of Beth Page. Beamer made well, the cut of Beth Page back in 2019. And, and I love Beamer. I hope he makes the cut this week because it's so much fun to celebrate. Again, he's one of my favorite people. One of the funniest stories I have of, of Augusta National is him trying to prove to me that he can plank for five minutes. And he did it. And he did it while he was drinking a beer on the floor of the bar. It was fantastic. And the, whoever Jesse Mueller is from Phoenix, Arizona – I'm sure the membership loves you. I'm sure you're really, really good at your job, but you have no chance. That's a good three-ball bet, man. So do you understand where we're going now? Yeah, same with Zach Oakley, uh, someone named Yuki Inamori, who is not a go. club pro. I repeat, now you're is feeling not, it. Is not a club pro. And Sebastian Munoz, uh, who had a great opportunity to win the Nelson. I will take <laughs> Sebastian Munoz uh, in, in my entire life stage. Perfect. Uh, here is my uh, checking account number. Uh, how about some real three balls? I know these are not good bets, Rex, but I want you to give me the player you think will be a low finisher and why. Shane Lowry, Brooks Kepka, Adam Scott, low finisher and why? Uh, Shane Lowry, because I don't know that Adam Scott is playing all that great at golf right now, and I'm just very, very leery of whatever Brooks Kepka is going to bring to the table. I mean, he, he didn't play last week. He withdrew, and I know you were in the press conference. He was cagey regarding the reasons why he did so. Yes, and, and it's, it's very uncomfortable, although that was a funny story of him locking himself out of the car. I have to admit, that was the, it, it brought levity to a day that had no levity whatsoever to it. And that was like the only time uh, that he was loose was uh, during the first couple minutes. No, no, no. When he was asked about beer, $18 beers, he had a pretty good answer, too. Come on. Uh, because, of course, he has a sponsorship deal with Mick Ultra. That is it the reason. It, it, was very, it was very weird why he was so cold about his injury. If you hadn't been following along, he withdrew on Wednesday before the Nelson. No reason was given. His manager did not respond uh, to multiple requests uh, for more information. He said his knee is fine. I uh, don't know about his hip. His hip, of course, he uh, partially tore his labrum and his left hip uh, back in 2020. Never got surgery for that. Don't know if that... He's got one-third of his kneecap left. Is that what he said? A quarter. One-third one quarter of his quarter. kneecap. That seems, uh, seems less than ideal. Uh, certainly, uh, don't know if the wedding planning... Uh, got to him. Don't know if his putting, uh, which has been much maligned uh, throughout the course of 22, cropped up, and he was just kind of frustrated with it. We do not know. However, Brooks kept at, at 40 to one. See, look, Rex, I'm even talking a uh, language uh, of the degenerates. Means? Uh, is very uh, is is very curious to see him that low, given his record 
in the major championships. How about this one? This is a tasty one. Uh, right after that group, DJ, who has uh, not been talked about once in this podcast, basically all year, uh, Patrick Cantlay and Justin Thomas. Uh, wow, that one's tough. Um, it is tough. I, uh, and again, you don't know how to gamble, but I get what we're doing now. We're just trying to do content. Um, I, I would argue that I, I don't know what we're going to get with DJ. I, I have argued here. You and I both went to, went to bat for Patrick Cantlay as far as one of our favorites. But I, I think Justin's JT is going to have a good week as well. So that, that one's tough. Uh, I'm going to go with JT because I think if he does not play well here at this particular major, I can't Ooh. imagine him him playing well at the at the last two majors of the year, and that's only going to create more issues. Like by the time we get to the tour championship, when I ask him his grade at East Lake, it's going to be a flat F. Like I, I don't even, I'm not even. That's taking cover, like asking John Rom, "Hey, how about a new putter?" He puts he puts so much pressure on himself. I'm not sure if that's a Tiger factor and how close he's gotten to him over the years that that, that he almost wants to like impress uh, Tiger and show that he's worthy of being group i don't know if there's like something psychological going on there that's extremely deep uh for this podcast but his slow starts are are kind of rory-esque uh at this point you'd love to see him just kind of get hot uh and see uh what jt can do he's just he's so talented and he's of 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 only of the players with with one major victory um he doesn't he doesn't belong he's a guy who easily uh when his career is done could have three, four, five, and it would not surprise uh, anybody. How about the group after them, Rex? This, this is and this is my this is my clever way. Oh, of I was going to throw one at you. Into, All right, and into, into talking about Ricky Fowler, Ricky Fowler, Jason Day, Harold Varner the third. If you missed it, Ricky Fowler on Monday did not close the door on jumping over to uh, live golf. This was something that he had kind of hinted at uh, months ago, even as far back as last December, saying he was open uh, to all possibilities. It still took seemingly a lot of people by surprise uh, that he has not kind of slammed the door on that. What was your read on that situation? Uh, you know what? Again, this this is all code words, right? So any guy that references legacy opportunity, you know that, yes, uh, anyone that references intriguing uh, talks about, yes, all of those things are going to be guys that sort of look over their shoulder. I, I'm not surprised in this particular case because look. I, I think Ricky Fowler, and you, you hate to put him in the category of this is a particular player, right? So we're talking about Sergio Garcia and Ian Poulter and Lee Westwood, and he's not in that category. However, he is in a unique situation where his popularity far out, outpaces what he has actually accomplished on the golf course. And I am a big Ricky Fowler fan. He is one of the most engaging and genuine people on the PGA Tour. But I think we can all say that wh- whatever he's gotten from the game – is more through really, really good marketing. And that's not to say that he hasn't won on the PGA Tour and he hasn't deserved to be where he is in the game because he's, he has done all of those things. But it's an outsized sort of re- reward that he's received on the back end as far as marketing goes. It, so, wouldn't, so wouldn't he squander all of that goodwill if he jumped over to Live Golf? I think in this particular case, you would look at he would be one of the highly coveted people. He, that live golf would want to, i mean we can both agree on that right like if you're you're doing oh, yeah. a hit list oh if you're like if you're okay start, if you're starting a league like he's still he's still youngish he's still youngish he is still he draws people to the golf course we still see 40 year old men walking around golf courses with a flat bill put my Terrible. hat on which is ridiculous Terrible. like i i can't i can't wear them i never pretend i can't but you that's can't, a bad you can't look. even wear that you can't even wear that palmetto hat that you bought a couple I, I, I can't. A couple of and look, weeks ago, and, that, and that's like a Travis Matthew hat. This it's is still, not it's still, a, it's still like too cool for you. 
it's not even it's too cool. It's just too big. I got a little tiny bird head. So that's the problem. In this particular case, he is going to be someone that they target. And I can tell you right now that it's going to be attractive to someone like Ricky Fowler. Because you put it, if, let's just put it in context. He is struggling with his game right now. If I were to look up his earnings over the last so, so, two or three so years. I, so so he, he struggled with his game. So let's go put him against Lee Weston and Ian Poulter. That should, that should boost his confidence. I don't even think that's it. I think suddenly the idea at, at this point in his life where he has a child, he's got a family and suddenly all of these new things. And I don't even know that financial interest even factor into this, but the idea that I could play, I don't know, throw a number out there 14 times a year and make throw again, a lot of zeros out there, a couple million dollars a year and spend the rest of the year with my family. I, I think that's very attractive to a guy like Ricky Fowler. Certainly I've had this conversation with Adam Scott and many other players where you're kind of like, okay, I understand where they're coming from. I, I, I wanted to tell this story because you'll love this. And I, I think I mentioned this to you. So last Tuesday when the PGA tour announced that they were denying the releases for all the players who'd asked to play in the first live golf event, which will be the first week of June in London, we did like an hour and a half of golf central. And it was myself and it was Eamon Lynch and it was Todd Lewis, and we were all in our home studios, and we were bouncing it around. It was a lot of talky, and I walked away exhausted. I mean, I was just rope-a-dope. So by the time I got to my couch, I think there was an NBA game on. My middle son, who started playing golf, and he kind of gets the game a little bit, asked me, uh, where you been? And I said, there was a live golf thing in PGA Tour. Like, I left it at that. And I see him dig into his phone, like he always does. And after about five minutes, he turned to me, and he goes, you are getting destroyed on Twitter. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. yes. Yes, I was getting absolutely hammered. And I go, well, well, what are they saying? And he goes, apparently you're coming off as an apologist for the Saudis and, and for Live Golf. Yes, this and, is what I've been saying. This is what I've been saying for months. And my, my counter to that was I was on air for an hour and a half next to Eamon Lynch, who is brilliant. And we both love Eamon. And, and look, I, I have nothing but a monsoon of respect for him. But he has made it clear that he has no interest whatsoever in either Greg Norman, because it always comes with some sort of major championship and not winning on Sunday joke, and Saudi, and, and Saudi back off. I totally understand where this is coming from. I get it. But compared to him, yes, I can see how I came off as an apologist, because all I'm saying and in this particular case, I'll take it back to Ricky Fowler. I still don't understand why PGA Tour professionals, why professional golfers have to make the distinction between legacy and getting paid when no other athlete professional has to make that same distinction. Because how much is enough? You could make the argument that there's who are only you to, see, who do you who are you to ask that? But there's only a handful of PGA Tour players. Like, okay, so so here here's what Tiger made the point. That, they're, that the top players have carried the tours. That's been the case for the last 50 years, that the top players power this thing. Number one in the FedEx Cup, or the top player in the world, should not be treated the same as number 125. And the PGA Tour as a member organization, that's kind of their, their uh, modus operandi. It's like, is to treat them all the same. It's a member organization. Everyone's equal. This is what we all signed up for. The PGA Tour, I think because of this rival threat, has started to adopt or at least sort of come to the understanding that that's not the competitive reality and that people are tuning in for the stars and that Tiger Woods or Phil Mickelson or Roy McIlroy, the amount of attention, the amount of exposure, the amount of interest that they're driving to the PGA Tour is not commensurate with number 125 and we're not even going to name names we're like it's just they should not be treated the same 
No, no. But there's only, but you can no, count, but you can count on maybe two hands the number of players that this applies for. Are people really tuning in to see Dustin Johnson? Are people really tuning in to see Cameron Smith? Are people really tuning in to see Bubba Watson? All those guys either have won major championships in the top 10 of the world rankings, were in the top 10 of the PIP last year. No. I would argue that PJ Tour fans are not tuning in to see those guys. The guys who power the tour are Tiger, Phil, Rory, Spieth. Sure. I, I'm, I'm not sure that, I'm, good I'm not that. sure there's I'm not sure there's anyone else. So those guys uh, I mean I, I would put Ricky on on the, the outskirts of that. I mean he is fifth, however you want to rank that. Um and yeah, no, I don't know that I mean I guess Bryson. I you ignore Bryson, oh, Bryson and I think Bryson. Yeah. I, for, I forgot I forgot Bryson. Yep. And and we had we've had this conversation over the last two years. It, it's no one is drawing more attention to the game than Bryson, but it's different. It, it's not like when Tiger was at his best, people came out to see his greatness. It seems like with Bryson, they want to come out and see the beard. See the, cir- the circus act, yeah. Yes. Yeah. But, yeah, so I would put Ricky and Bryson in that conversation as well. That's fair. Okay, so that's, that's five or six players. Where tops. are you going with this? Pay those guys. Um, I, I, I don't have a problem with that. And, again, I do, like the last thing I want to do That's what the PJ Tour is trying to do. They're trying to pay those guys. And it's still not good enough. Um, I, this goes back to early in my career. I got sideways with a, a manufacturer and it's a top, I don't know, top three manufacturer in, in golf right now, equipment manufacturer in golf right now. Name um, names. No, I don't want to do that. Cause it was, it, it was so nasty. And I was working is it, on is it the sponsor of this podcast. Uh, it is not No, no. So you can narrow it down from there. We, cause we, cause we hard, we, we hard Callaway golf. <laughs> um, but the, the idea was, and I was writing just about a player who'd recently signed a contract with another manufacturer. And I'd been given a quote that it was a market value quote. And I kind of got some pushback from this manufacturer. And what I learned in that exchange was market value at its root, at its heart, is what someone is willing to pay you. And so right now, if someone is willing to pay Lee Westwood, I don't know what the number may or may not be. But if they're willing to pay him, let's say $20 million to play eight of these live golf events, then that's Lee Westwood's market value. You and I can have a moral conversation about whether if he should or should not do that. And I can totally appreciate that. And this goes back to Eamon and Brandel Chambly and anyone else who wants to turn this into a moral conversation, because I see that I'm not blind to that. And I'm sympathetic with that. I just think from a player's perspective, and I think we're going to see that more over the next few weeks, there are players who suddenly have an interest in this who probably didn't six months ago because they're starting to see their market value has gone up dramatically. Is it good for the game? I kind of agree with Seth Wall the CEO of the PGA of America who said today, no, it's not good for the game. And it's probably not going to be good for the players long-term, but this is where we're at. It's not going to go away. If, if Kevin Na and Jason Kokrak seem like Harold a random Arthur, name, you pulled like out of nowhere. Sergio Garcia, if all these guys think that they are underpaid, Kevin Na has made $37 million in his PGA tour career. If he thinks that he is being underpaid. Please. I, we 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 welcome the opportunity for you to go uh, seek opportunities elsewhere. This is the only sport in which Kevin Na could play, and he has he has become fabulously wealthy, generationally wealthy, if he's smart uh, with some of his uh, investments. 
because of the game of golf and what the PJ Tour has built for a short hitter. But well, please, and I guess go see I, I, I guess my only response to that was we don't have these conversations when I don't know someone gets a super max deal in the NBA or the NFL or whatever the case may be. Like if if Aaron Rodgers gets a super max deal from Green Bay, it's oh yeah, of course he would. He's Aaron Rodgers. Like he's he's the quarterback. He's, he's guaranteed generational. Guaranteed upfront money changes the very dynamic of professional golf. Uh, maybe, maybe. And again, this goes back to I, I agree with Seth. I, I don't know that this is good for the game, and it's certainly not good for me. And so for all those people who called me out on Twitter, and and my son took great joy in this. Like he's still laughing about this to this day. Um, I will tell you that professionally, I, I can make all these all these distinctions I want personally. Professionally, it's terrible for both you and I. Like we we have a dog in this race. Like you and I are, are both tied to the PGA Tour as employees of the Golf Channel and NBC, and I, I recognize that. I know that. I mean, I'm not blind to that idea. The only argument I'm making is from what I'm hearing from the players. I'm simply trying to report what I'm hearing on the range day in and day out, that there is an interest level and it continues to grow. And they're going to get their 48 players. It's not the 48 players they want, but they'll get 48 players for that first live golf event. And then from there, it'll grow and they'll get 48 more and it might be a little bit better feel. And by the time they're done in August, after the last event, you're going to have more PGA Tour players looking over their shoulder, telling themselves that someone named Ryan Labner earned $6 million and I've never heard of that guy before. Banking on competitive jealousy is not a good business model. And that's one, it's one element of the model. Golf. That's the only model. model is that no, it's they, not. It's great. It's, it's, Norman Lilly said that he said he does not care who wins. And then he's uh, it, it, top players seeing these guys make ungodly sums of money. It, it's part of it. I would say the other part of this, and the, the, this goes unnoticed and I don't think Greg Norman would want to talk about it, but they're going after the tours young. Like there's going to be NIL deals with young players, college players right now in live golf and the PGA tour can't compete with that. And essentially what they're saying is you can have today's uh, the PGA stars. tour is trying to compete with that since they, they any uh, player who is in the PGA tour, you rankings uh, is not allowed to play in those tournaments. And, and if they do, uh, they will be kicked out of the PGA tour, you program, which of course funnels them uh, onto the corn Ferry tour. Which in, in turn, you would argue, yes, I get where they're coming from, but now all of a sudden, if, you're signing a kid to an NIL deal to play, I don't know, six of the eight invitational events on live golf this year. And as long as it's not performance-based, that that's fine. That the NCAA and each college does not have a problem with that. However many zeros you want to tack onto that, that's the game the tour can't play. They won't and they can't. They're, I mean, they're trying to preemptively combat it. But if you're a, a PGA Tour, or if you're a PGA Tour hopeful, if you're one of these PGA Tour U kids, of course you're going to go play those live events with kind of the guaranteed money. Uh, whenever you decide to turn professional, you can gain world ranking points, assuming that the series eventually uh, is a recognized tour event. And then you can get back on the PJ tour through conventional means. You don't have to go through PJ tour, you through corn ferry through the corn ferry tour finals, and then on to the PJ tour. It's a new Avenue uh, that's going to be explored. I do think you make a great point, Rex, and that this first wave of players, and we're going to see five, six, seven, however many number of players uh, eventually sign up for this London event, and then they get suspended by the tour in all likelihood, and that's how it's going to go. Those players are going to get blasted on social media. They're going to get kicked out of the Ryder Cup. In all likelihood, they're probably going to lose some sponsors. But you know what they're going to do? 
they're going to make it easier for the next wave of players. The fur is going to die down. Public scorn is going to go away. The backlash won't be as severe with the second wave of players. And you're right. Five players becomes 10, becomes 15, becomes 20, becomes 25. And ultimately, you have a potential rival to the PGA Tour uh, and certainly a big headache uh, for Commissioner Jay Monahan. We have rambled on this uh, PGA Championship podcast long enough. Uh, I can't even, this, this podcast has gone longer, Rex, than the Masters podcast. The Masters is the biggest tournament of the year in a non-Ryder Cup year. We had a lot to talk longer. We we talked long for the PGA Championship than we did for the Masters. What is this world coming to? We had a lot to cover. I mean, we we both had takes. Yeah, I can imagine you running around your house chasing poor Cam around. Move, kid. I got takes. Get out of the way. Lily's scooting on the floor since he refuses to crawl. Uh, That lazy little bum. (laughs) She refuses Uh, to crawl. She's how many months old? She's she's, she's eight months, refuses to crawl. She literally just scoots. Come on, kick your legs. For so I'm an apologist for, for for the Live Golf League. Is that what you're telling me? Is that what we got to? Like my, that's what, that's, like, what the, that's what the that's what the people on Twitter. This is not the first time uh, you've gone viral. This is not the first time you've been ratioed. Uh, it certainly not. will not be uh, the last, folks. Uh, we are new to Tulsa. This is my fourth time in Oklahoma uh, in the past five years. Uh, any restaurant that Rex that you went to. Uh, in 2007 has probably long been shuttered. If you have any recommendations for some good cattle, uh, send them our way. You can find yeah. Rex, of course, since you were tweeting at him last week, uh, at, at Rex Hogger GC. Uh, Ryan Lander GC is my handle. Our email addresses, uh, you can probably find those as well. Send us some good Rex. Right now, all I've got is like Chipotle, uh, something called Chewy's. Uh, Mexican I'm not restaurant. Sure. It's pretty good. I'm not, it's, it's not, I'm not sure what's near your place rex but it's, it's probably um, a change. mcdonald's and pizza hut and i'm trying to decide between the two right now so it sounds like we're boss uh our former boss jake off and went to uh when he went to new orleans uh he's, he's going to going to mcdonald's and pizza well thank you guys for listening to this way too long edition uh central podcast presented by callaway golf are we doing a writer's block next are we doing a writer's block on wednesday uh we are yeah so oh, it'll be a shorter version neat. of this Neat, uh, a drastically shorter because they would have uh, long cut it, our, our mics. Uh, so be sure to check out golfchannel.com for that. Make sure to check out Rex uh, on Golf Channel, early edition of live from, from 9 o'clock Eastern until about 1 o'clock Eastern time on Wednesday. All of our stuff can be found on golfchannel.com. You guys know the drill. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week when we'll break down the winner of the PJ Championship, probably in less time than we did this preview podcast. You're my boy, Colby.